Let's turn in our Bibles again to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we are looking at verses 7 through 18, finishing up the chapter today. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul writing to Corinth. Verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another, another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for his help. Lord, we thank you for your invitation to come and buy wine and milk and bread for those who have no money. Thank you that you offer yourself and good news of the gospel to us freely and that you invite us to come to your word and to hear from you, to receive from you all of the riches and sustenance and nourishment that come to us through your word. And so God, we pray that you would give us your spirit now, that as we look at this part of your word, that you would feed us, that we would be satisfied with you, that you would show us your glory and reveal Jesus Christ to us, so that we would boast only in the Lord. And we pray in your name.
Well, maybe you've heard of the term humble brag. A humble brag. A humble brag is when someone tries to sound humble, but they're actually bragging. So, for example, a parent might say, well, my 14-year-old son uh, didn't get the full ride to Yale, and so I guess he's going to have to go to Princeton instead. Trying to sound humble, but it's really a brag. Sometimes uh, people do humble brags when they're complaining about things. Uh, they don't realize how maybe snooty it makes them sound. Uh, someone might say, yeah, I was on my first class flight to Los Angeles. They gave me free champagne. But can you believe they made me pay for earplugs? Yes, terrible. Terrible life that you live. You have to pay for earplugs on your first class flight. Christians are not immune to the humble brag. All that we have to do is brag about ourselves and then end your sentence with all glory to God or start your sentence with by God's grace and if you start your sentence with by God's grace and you continue to brag about all the great things about yourself that would be a Christian humble brag if you brag about yourself and end by saying but praise God for doing all this for me that is a Christian humble brag Churches do the humble brag when they brag about their production and accomplishments. Uh, all the time I see on the internet, I, I used to get annoyed, now I just kind of think it's funny. But Christians, uh, churches like to post, we baptize 400 people on Easter Sunday, all glory to God. And I think it's funny because if you really want it all glory to God, maybe you just don't have to post about all the baptisms that you have at your church. Well, Christians are not immune to this problem of humble brags, and they are not immune to the problem of boasting. And boasting is what Paul is going to talk about in this passage today. Boasting is a major problem in Corinth. It is part of just the way you live life in Corinth. It's part of the air you breathe. That if you want to get somewhere in life in Corinth, you need to brag about yourself. You need to let everyone know how great you are. And you also need to tear down anyone who is your competition. And so it would be a lot like what we see today in, in political campaigns where a politician, if he wants to get elected, he has to constantly brag about himself. He has to tout everything that is great about him or her and what they are going to do. And then in contrast, they have to tear down the person they are competing against. That is the political tactic now in our day. Well, that's what life was like in Corinth with any job and any situation in life. And so Paul is going to address this problem in Corinth of boasting. And it's affected him especially. And so Paul's going to tell us what is appropriate and inappropriate boasting. Let's start looking at this passage. And we see it broken up into three parts. The first is where Paul talks about boasting appropriately. 
in verses 7 through 11. We'll see what he means about boasting appropriately. So here in chapter 10, remember that the main idea that Paul's trying to get at right now is that he's trying to tell the Corinthians that he's going to come and deal with the false teachers, these so-called super apostles that have infiltrated Corinth. So in verse 2, he says that he is going to show this boldness to them. In verse 6, he's ready to punish every disobedience. And so now he continues uh, with that same uh, train of thought in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. So Paul starts by saying, look at what is before your eyes. Different translations might put that as a question or a statement, and here it's a command. So some people would interpret it negatively, like, why are you looking at before, what's before your eyes? Some people interpret it positively. You need to look at what's before your eyes. And I'm convinced that we should interpret it in a positive sense because of the rest of the verse. Look at what is before your eyes because I too am of Christ. So look at me. In other words, look at what is obvious. Look at what is right in front of you. It's obvious that I am of Christ. If you think those people are of Christ, then isn't it obvious that I would be of Christ too? So he wants them to notice that he is a true apostle. And this is what he means when he says to be of Christ, to belong to Christ. He's not saying that they're Christians and I'm a Christian too. He's not talking about being a Christian. He's talking about being sent by Christ. Look at what's obvious. If you think they are sent by Christ, remember that just as you would think they're of Christ, so also are we. I am also sent by Christ. So he's bringing up the fact that he's a true apostle. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. So there he's telling us that he is talking about how he's a true apostle. And there in verse 7, it's as if, in a sense, he is boasting about his authority. He's boasting that he truly is an apostle. But he's not afraid to boast about this authority. Because he says he knows that it comes from the Lord and that the Lord gave it to him for building up, not for tearing down. So this authority that he has is good. They use their authority as these so-called super apostles to tear others down. Their goal is to smear Paul. They're trying to destroy Paul. They're constantly telling the Corinthians how Paul is not good enough to be an apostle. But Paul says that's not the kind of campaign that he wants to run. 
That's not the kind of mission that he's on. That's not what he has been sent by Christ to do. He has been sent to preach the gospel. He's a minister of the new covenant. His job is to preach Christ, not to always be tearing other people down. And so he uses his authority to build up by preaching Christ, not to tear others down. Paul is not like today what exists on the internet of these what people call discernment ministries where someone makes money raises money calls themselves a a minister of the gospel but their job is to scour the internet all day every day looking for dirt on a pastor on a famous speaker so that they can make podcasts and blogs and videos to always try to figure out what is wrong with someone's teaching. That's not gospel ministry. Of course, Paul is willing to confront false teaching. Paul wants to be discerning, but he doesn't want his entire ministry to just be criticizing other people. What are these discernment ministries doing to build up, to preach Christ? What are they doing to serve their own churches? How are they building up the local church, the bride of Christ? Or are they just spending all of their time tearing down brides of Christ? So again, Paul is willing to call out false teachers. But Paul is like the bee that stings when it's provoked. The bee doesn't want to go around always stinging people. The bee dies when it stings people. The bee stings only when it's provoked. Paul is willing to deal with false teaching when he is provoked to doing it. But that's not his ministry. His main ministry is to go around and preach the gospel. Or if we can change the metaphor to a different animal, think of a dog. John Calvin said this about himself. He says, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw God's truth attacked and yet remain silent. So Calvin is willing to bark when His master, Jesus, is attacked. Paul is willing to bark, but Paul doesn't want to be an attack dog. Paul likes being a little sheep dog, one of those shepherd dogs that that runs beside the sheep and is always guiding the sheep. And he'd rather guide the sheep uh, off of the cliffs so that they don't run off the cliffs rather than always being the dog that has to constantly be attacking wolves. But he's willing to attack the wolves. And so this is what Paul is saying. His main ministry is given for building up. He can boast about his authority because he uses his authority for good. But notice here that this is an extreme situation where he has to bring out his authority. He's only bringing out his authority because that's what's being challenged. His apostleship. He has to play the the apostle card when people are challenging the fact 
that he is an apostle. He is only pulling rank. I'm an apostle. You guys need to listen to me because he needs to at this time. Again, it's this whole idea of responding to attack rather than being the one always wanting to be on the attack. And so this is a lesson for us about the use of authority. There are different types of authority among human beings. The main one is in the family, where husbands have authority over their home, and parents, husband and wife, have authority over their children. And we need to remember the good use of authority is to build up, not to tear down, not to destroy. So husbands, it is true that you are the head of the home and you uh, are to lead your wife. But if, if your version of leading your wife is, I'm the husband, I'm the boss, I wear the pants in this family, you need to do what I say. Well, then you're not using your authority to build up. Paul says that husbands are the head of the home. He says then to the husband, love your wife. Notice he didn't say, you're the head, so show her who's boss. No, you're the head, so love your wives. And so we are to gently lead our wives, teach them, instruct them, convince them of where we desire to go as a family, not just say, I'm the husband, what I say goes. And same goes for parents. Parents, if the constant saying that's heard in your house is, because I said so, then there's something wrong with your parenting. Now, obviously, there are situations where you need to say, enough, because I said so, you need to do this. If the child is in the road and the car is coming, you don't need to have this whole discussion about why you need to get out of the road. No, get out of the road. And they need to know it's because you said so, because you're the parent and you tell them what to do. But the normal way of parenting in most cases is that we are called to instruct our children. Yes, we discipline our children, but we also need to teach them why they need to obey. And so we use our authority for building them up, for guiding them, for helping them to grow rather than just you need to do what I say because I said so. So this is how Paul uses his authority. Well, he's brought up the word authority, which to some people is a scary word. Uh, it's a scary word today, which is why this is important, because people think authority means uh, demeaning people, tearing people down. We need to use our authority for good. Well, Paul knows that this word is scary even then. So this is what he says now in verse 9. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. Oh, Paul is a scary letter guy because Paul is always saying in his letters that he's got all this authority that he's going to rule. But I don't want to be frightening you with my letters. 
Now verse 10, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Paul is being accused of having his letters being weighty and strong, but in person he's weak as a person. Part of this is just this idea that, well, Paul's not really going to do what he says. He sounds like a big tough guy, but he's not really going to carry out any of his consequences that he's threatening. But another part of it is also personally attacking Paul. Paul sounds big and tough and scary, but when you see him in person, he doesn't look very scary. And his speech is... As my Bible says, of no account. And maybe a better way to understand it is, is the word despicable, contemptible. His speech is despicable. He's a terrible speaker. Paul would get an F in the speech class. If Paul had to take a preaching class, he would get an F. That's what they're saying about him. He's a terrible speaker. He's not flowery. He's not eloquent. He's very plain and simple. And you see in this verse that his bodily appearance and his speaking are mentioned together. And that seems to be how people would judge a speaker in their day, back in Corinth. Uh, we have this statement from a Greek philosopher named Epictetus. He says this about another guy. He says, Diogenes used to go about with a radiant complexion and would attract the attention of the common people by the very appearance of his body. But a cynic, another type of philosopher, a cynic who excites pity is regarded as a beggar. Everybody turns away from him. Everybody takes offense at him. The cynics liked to deny themselves, so you can imagine a, a very scrawny, famished cynic. Everybody's like, oh, poor guy. He looks like a beggar. I'm turn away from him. I don't want to listen to his philosophy. I'll go listen to Diogenes, the radiant complexion who attracts the attention of people just by the appearance of his body. And so you see Hollywood culture existed in Corinth. It existed back then. It's the same with people today. Oh, we want a, a person who looks a certain way according to a certain standard of a worldly idea of what the world calls beauty. And we don't want anything to do with these people who don't look very good. So they say, why would you listen to Paul? Paul doesn't have this skin, this complexion, and this radiant body that would attract people to come and listen to him his appearance is weak and so his speech despicable who would want to listen to a guy like that so paul boasts about the authority given to him and he says in verse 11 let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Don't worry. I'm coming, and I will do what I say. 
I will use my authority. I will use it for the good of the church. This is what these people are saying about me. They think I'm a nobody, I'm no good, but I'll do what I say because I'm a real apostle. So that's part one. He boasts appropriately about his authority. Then second, we see he's boasting within limits in verses 12 to 16. Verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul is making a statement full of irony here. Um, the other apostles, false apostles, they're, they're saying, we're so good, Paul doesn't even compare to us. Paul is saying, I wouldn't dare compare myself with you. Now, why? Why would he not dare compare himself? Well, it's because he's saying, my game as an apostle is a different game than these other guys are playing. My game is to build up, to preach Christ. Their game is, I don't know, just gathering a bunch of crowds. So why would you dare compare yourself when you're playing different games? If you have a seven-footer and a five-footer, and the seven-footer is saying, look at me, look how great I am. You can't even compare to me in basketball. Paul says, I'm not playing basketball. It doesn't matter. I'm actually a soccer player. And being a five-foot soccer player can be pretty good. I'm really quick. I get around these guys. Why would I dare compare myself with a seven-footer? We're not even playing the same game. These guys compare themselves they commend themselves, he says in verse 12. But what are they doing? They're measuring themselves by one another. Comparing themselves with one another. They've decided that the ministry is like basketball. And so the ministry needs a bunch of seven footers, spiritually speaking. But they've decided that. It's their standard. Imagine ten guys in Corinth. They get together and they say, hey guys. We're going to start a ministry. And we're going to give out Best Preacher of the Year Award every year. And we're going to give out Best Preacher to the guy who's got the whitest teeth. He's got the tannest skin. He's got the most muscular body. And he is the most flowery speaker. And so then we're all going to compare ourselves at the end of the year and judge ourselves. And we'll pick a winner. That's essentially what they're doing. Coming up with their own standard, comparing themselves to this standard that is a completely false standard. And so then they, they get proud of themselves. I won preacher of the year. And Paul says, who cares? Who, who cares about your silly awards comparing yourselves by this created standard? Paul is saying that they live in an echo chamber. You know, an echo chamber where you hear your own echo. Imagine the echo. You're so great. 
You're so great. You're so great. You're so great. <gasps> Somebody said I was so great. I'm a great preacher because I heard an echo of myself calling myself a great preacher. That's the echo chamber that they live in. In his commentary in this part, John Calvin goes on a rant against monks of his day in the 1500s. Monks were closed off from the world, and so they would write books and they would publish things. And, and when they would publish something, uh, they, the, the other monks would all be like, wow, you're so smart, that's so great, what a great discovery you made. And it turns out it was some discovery that was made like 200 years ago. But the monks, none of the monks knew like these discoveries because they were all closed off from the rest of the world. They lived in an echo chamber. And so all the monks slap each other on the back. You're such a great, smart monk. But everyone else already knows all this stuff. And so Paul says at the end of verse 12, these people are without understanding. That's a nice way of putting it. He says, they have no clue. These people are absolutely clueless. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're talking about ministry and preaching and the gospel. They are clueless because they put themselves in this echo chamber. So then Paul brings up the word boasting again. And he's going to talk about boasting in two areas. First, he mentions boasting about the areas of others. And he's saying this is what they do. They boast about the areas that belong to others. Verses uh, 13 and 14. We will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. So when he talks about boasting beyond limits, it's not the limit of his boasting. It's beyond the limit of an area. He clarifies that we boast only with the area of influence God assigned to us. So these other people are coming into Corinth, which is not their area, and then they are boasting. They're encroaching upon Paul's area. And then they have all this fruit. And they're boasting as if they're the ones who this fruit was coming from. And Paul's like, uh, I got there first. In verse 14. I was the first one to come and, and preach the gospel to you. And now these guys are reaping all the fruit. And they think it's all because of them. But this is my area. Paul uses the word measure multiple times. Um, it doesn't come out in the ESV at least, but in verse 12 he says they measure themselves with one another. And then here's how I would read verse 13. We will not boast beyond measure but will boast only with regard to the measure of influence that God has measured out to us to reach even to you. So you see the word measure there? God measures out to every person an area. That area is that their area of influence. 
and you are not to boast about that things that happen in someone else's area of influence because you're encroaching if you try to take the credit for their area. Your job is to be faithful in the ministry to your area of influence. We are to do what Paul says in verse 14, not overextend ourselves. Isn't that what happens with you and me? Don't we as people, don't we overextend ourselves because we want to encroach upon other people's areas? Because we want to compare ourselves with one another, with others, and then we say, well, if I'm going to be a good provider for my family, I got to be like this guy. I got to provide this much. If I'm going to be a good mother, I have to be like this mother. If I want my kids to turn out this way, then they got to go to this kind of school because that's what I see everybody else doing. And Paul says, your area is not anybody else's area. Your job is to be faithful to the area of influence that God has assigned to you. The hymn that we sung earlier says, I ask thee for daily strength to none that ask denied, a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. That is your job. God has given you a little space. Your job is to be content with that little space, that area of influence that God has given you. And I think especially of parents. Uh, parents, our main ministry, our area of influence is our children. I read somewhere that 95% of the time that we will spend with our children in our lives is going to be spent before they're 18. So in other words, once they leave the home, uh, 5% of the time, of all the time you've ever spent with them will be spent after they leave the home. So in other words, 95% is what you have now when they are in your home. And this is your area of influence. So shouldn't that affect the way you think about life? If you're a dad and you have the opportunity for more work and more promotion, uh, is, is the desire to make more money more important than what could be less time with these children when you only have the 95% of them before they're 18? And yet you can look at all the other people with all the other money that they have and you can say, I want to be like them, but your job is not to be like them. Your job is to be faithful to your area of influence. Mothers, it's the same temptation, the same thoughts. You look at other women who may appear to be achieving things and they achieve what the world calls success or they might be making a lot of money. And you say, well, what am I achieving? I'm sitting here with this kid. He's throwing applesauce in my face all the time. And the answer is, what you're achieving is being faithful 
to the area of influence that God has assigned to you. And so we are to boast. Boast in the fact that God has given you this little space. Be content with this little space if that is how God wants you to glorify him. We can apply this to the local church, to ourselves as a church. What is our job as a church? It's to preach and pray. And preach and pray. What about all these other churches? They've got all these big programs. They've got 300 kids coming to their thing. Shouldn't we be like them? No. Preach and pray. That's the area of influence God has assigned to the church. Be faithful in what God calls us to do. I think of Matthew 10, 42 a lot when Jesus says, that if you give even a cup of cold water to one of his disciples, you will by no means lose your reward. Well, that's the job of the Christian. Jesus is looking at every time you give a cup of cold water to those children in your home, to the fellow members of your local church as you serve them, as you invite them over to your house, as you spend time with them, to your community, as you reach out to your neighbor, Jesus sees a cup of cold water given and you will not lose your reward. That's your area of influence. That's our church's area of influence is to faithfully serve others. So they're boasting about the areas of others. The other thing they're doing is they're boasting about others' work. Verses 15 and 16. Paul says, We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area, another's area of influence. So again, uh, not only are they encroaching on Paul's area, but then they are boasting about the work that Paul did. They came and they got, saw the fruit and they are trying to take all the credit. Paul did all the hard work. He spent 18 months in Corinth. Uh, he faced opposition from many people, and then he has to leave, and now these new hotshots come into town, and they're saying, look at all this success we've had. They're riding on Paul's coattails. Paul did all the hard work. Paul desires that, in verse 15, their faith would increase, that this church would mature, so that he wouldn't have to keep dealing with all these problems but that he can go and preach the gospel in other places. Because this was Paul's mission. As an apostle, he was, he was a missionary. He desired to preach the gospel where Christ had not already been named. He says in Romans 15, his ambition is not to build on another's foundation. He doesn't want to go and build on the foundation of churches that other people have started. But his mission before God was to go preach the gospel 
where there was no foundation. He wanted to build upon the foundation. And yet here are these people coming along, taking credit as if they did it. Well, this is also a reminder for us. It's easy for us to be proud of ourselves, to boast about ourselves. But how did we get to where we are now? We're on the shoulders of others. Paul says somewhere else, what do you have that you did not receive? So even thinking about yourself spiritually, we might boast about ourselves spiritually. We have come to the true theology. We know the truth now. How did you come to the truth? Maybe it was through a a little church that has lots of problems where you grew up. You grew up in a little church. They have lots of problems, but you know what? That little church taught you the gospel of Jesus Christ. But isn't it strange, isn't it sad how we get to a stage where we become proud of everything that we know and we've got it right, and so we look down on these little churches when it was that little church that raised you to know Christ? You roll your eyes when grandma says something to you about choosing her salvation or something. No, we don't choose our salvation, grandma. Your grandma has no idea what happened in 1689. But your grandma prayed for you every day of your life. Are you going to boast about how much smarter you are than your grandma who loved you and prayed for you? What do we have that we did not receive? We look at all the resources that we have in our day. You can go online, and lots of you, you learn theology through Ligonier Ministries or uh, something else on the internet like that. And you say, oh, I can't believe, how could people, how could people not understand all this true stuff? It's just so obvious in the Bible. Well, why do you understand it? Because you have access to resources. That's one reason that other people don't have. So why would you boast in others' work? Well, finally, the last way of boasting is boasting in the Lord. Verses 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What is the proper boasting? It is boasting in the Lord. Paul here is quoting Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24. And it helps to understand what he's talking about, what Paul's talking about, if you understand the whole verse that Jeremiah says. God says through Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But let the one who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me. That sounds a lot like Corinth. Wise men boasting in their wisdom. Strong men boasting in their strength. 
rich men boasting in their wealth. And Paul said about them, they understand nothing. They have no clue, he said in verse 12. Because what they do not understand is the Lord. Because the one who boasts is to boast in this, that he knows and understands the Lord. And if you don't understand the Lord, then you understand nothing. You are without a clue. You can be rich, but if you don't understand the Lord, it means nothing. You can be wise, but if you don't know the Lord, it means nothing. You can be strong, but if you don't have the Lord, your strength is worth nothing. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, that he knows and understands the Lord. You see here that this is what Paul is getting at. And how this addresses even our boasting, our humble brags. Because Jeremiah could have said, let the one who boasts, let the one who is strong, boast in his strength and give glory to God for his strength. It's okay to boast in your wealth as long as you praise God for your wealth. It's okay to boast in your wisdom so long as you say that your wisdom is by the grace of God alone. No, he says, you don't boast about those things. You don't boast about these things that you have or these things that you do. Those things don't matter. It's not what you do. It's not what you have. It's who you know. Do you know the Lord? Knowing and understanding the Lord is what matters. Paul never writes in the New Testament, I baptized 400 people, all glory to God. No, he says, uh, I, kind of, I can't even keep track of who I've baptized. Paul never writes a report of a list of 200 conversions on that day. All glory to God, 200 people were saved today because I preached. No, because Paul doesn't care about boasting about those things that are even done through him. The only thing he boasts about here is that he knows the Lord. That's what matters for us. Do you boast in the fact that you know the Lord? If you do not know the Lord, you should know that because of your sin, you are under the judgment of God. And that anyone who does not know the Lord will face God's judgment in an eternity in hell. But the only way to be saved is not through anything that you can do. You are saved by grace, the grace of God, through faith, by you resting upon what God has done through Christ. And it's not any of your works, nothing good that you can bring to God to make him accept you. Lest, if it were because of your works, you would have a reason to boast. But you cannot boast about your salvation. You should not boast about your salvation because it is by grace alone. It is purely the work of God. Jesus Christ lived a life you could never live. Jesus died on the cross to pay a punishment that you deserved, that you would not get out of if it were not for Christ. And then God sends his spirit to open your eyes and to awaken your heart and to save you, to see Jesus Christ. 
That is how you can know the Lord. That's how you can have salvation from hell. Salvation is of the Lord. So boast only in knowing the Lord. Verse 17 then fits with verse 18. It's not the one who commends himself who is approved. It's not about the good things you can say about us. As Proverbs 27 says, let another man praise you, not your own lips. You don't need to praise yourself. You don't even need to praise yourself and then give glory to God. Don't commend yourself. What matters is the one whom the Lord commends. What matters is what the Lord says. Paul said in chapter 5, he makes it his aim to please him. He lives in the fear of the Lord, knowing that every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account to Christ for all the deeds we've done in the body, whether it's good or evil. That's what you need to live for. It doesn't matter if someone says you are good at your job. You're a good worker. I mean, it matters in some sense, but not really. It doesn't matter whether other people say you're a good mom or a bad mom. What matters is the one whom the Lord commends. Are you being faithful to the area of influence that God has assigned to you? Are we as a church being faithful to the calling of God to preach and to pray and to live holy lives and to love one another and to give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ. If we are faithful in that area, then the Lord will commend you. May we be faithful in our ministry wherever God puts us. May the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in you is all wisdom and righteousness and justification and sanctification. What do we have that we did not receive? We thank you for all that you have given us by your grace. We pray that you would help us to be faithful stewards. Help us to manage what you have assigned to us. To live in the area where you have put us. Help us not to seek great things for ourselves. Help us to have calmed souls resting upon you. To not go after things too great and too marvelous for us. And to do this, we need, we need you to humble us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would show us your greatness and your glory that we might be faithful to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.